you're here this morning and, and you really haven't made that decision for Christ, um, you don't know that you're, you're his or you're just really kind of skeptical, I'm glad you're here because this is some background for you to see what it means to be a follower of Christ. What does it mean to give your life to Christ, to be his disciple? Um, James has a lot of insight for us on how to do that and what we're to do. And we started out with consider it pure joy. And so he started with a really hard principle, this idea that no matter what happens in life, we should be joyful about it, that we should recognize that God doesn't, uh, he doesn't waste anything. He uses all the messes in our life, right? God uses all the messes in our life. If we, if we allow him to, if we look for him to, to use it, he uses it for his, his glory and he grows us and matures us. And so can we consider it pure joy in our lives, the things that happen to us? And then we looked at live what you learn, live what you learn and that it's, uh, you only believe the parts of the Bible you do. Did you know that? You only believe the parts of the Bible that you do. And so if you don't do it, you don't believe it, right? If you don't uh, treat people as the way you want to be treated, then you don't believe in that. If you don't share the gospel, it means maybe you don't necessarily believe the gospel. These are the realities of it. We only, the things we believe we do in life, and so we need to live what we learn. And the big focus of James is to be a doer. You're not saved by what you do, but because you're saved, you do what you do. And then we talked about everyone matters. To God, everyone matters. He doesn't overlook anyone. Everyone in your life matters. Everyone you see when you drive down the road matters. Everyone you're in line with at the store matters to God. God has placed you, if you're a believer in Christ, on this planet to love those people, to love every person you see. Figure out ways to encourage them and point them to Christ and figure out ways to share the gospel with them. And so everyone in your life matters. And God doesn't want us to overlook that. We are his ambassadors to everyone. And we have the most important mission. There's a lot of people that I respect and I hold in high esteem in in our community. The firefighters, the police officers, the military. uh, They do things that keep us safe. They do things that allow us to have freedom. But in reality, even beyond all of those things, sharing the gospel is the single most important thing that a person needs to do in life. And we need to take it seriously to the level of what God takes it. That our lives, we've been called to be on mission for him. And so uh, everyone matters. Everyone is someone that can know Christ personally and live for him. And then faith is more than knowledge. Faith is more than knowledge, that it's not just words. Uh, Jesus isn't looking for us to be smarter Christians. It always reminds me of, of the dad who tells his daughter to clean her room. And every time he goes to her room, her room is dirty. And so he comes in, he says, daughter, why don't you ever clean your room? And she says, but dad, I've written down word by word what you tell me to do. And then I translate it in Greek and Hebrew. And then I get together with my friends and we talk about what you told me. And then we pray together about when would be a good time for me to do this. And they do all of these things. But dad, right now, I'm focused on what you said and I'm not doing it. Right? And that's what we're called. It's not just knowledge. He doesn't want us to be just smarter. He wants us to be doers of the word. Do it. Clean the room. Do whatever he calls you to do. Because that is why he gave us the words to begin with. That's why he spoke through people. He spoke through about 40 different people over 1,400 years. And it was recorded to us so that we could have wisdom and understanding in life. So that we could live the way he intends us to live. And so faith is more than knowledge. And lastly, we talked about love God with your words. Love God with your words. That your words matter. You can build up or destroy. You can support or tear down. 
There are words that have been said to you that affect you deeply today. There are words you've said to others that deeply affect them today. There are words that you have said that have changed the trajectory of someone's life, either in a positive or a negative way. God spoke the universe into existence. God spoke the gospel to us through his disciples. The words are the things that communicate to us truth or lies. And so our words are so important. And so when it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, Jesus connects the heart to our words. And so we're to love him with our words. Do you love God with your words? And today we're going to go to the next step of how to love God, and that is to love God with your thoughts. Love God with your thoughts. Do you love God with your thoughts? I think probably none of us would want on these screens all the thoughts we had this week, right? We would not want to go thought by thought what we thought about this week because obviously there are things that we think about that we know we shouldn't think about. There are thoughts we have that are not healthy, are not holy, are not pure. And so our thought life is probably one of the hardest areas for us to give complete control over to God in. Our thought life is a challenge. And even in our thought life, we can be wrong about a lot of things. We can be very wrong because we only have limited understanding. As I was thinking about this this subject of our thoughts and wisdom and doing things because we know they're right, it reminded me of a pastor who did a home visit for a widow. And he went to this woman's house and they had a nice talk. And uh, she said, would you like some tea, pastor? And he said, sure, I'd like some tea. And so she went in to prepare the tea. And while she was preparing the tea, he saw in front of him a dish full of peanuts. And so he began to eat the peanuts one by one. And as time went by, uh, she was taking a little longer than, than he expected. And he ended up eating all the peanuts in the dish. And so the woman came back from making the tea, and he said, uh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I, it seems as though I've eaten all your peanuts. And she said, Pastor, don't worry about it. They're too hard for me to chew. That's why I just suck all the chocolate off of them. <laughs> sorry for that mental image this morning. But the point there is he was lacking wisdom. He was lacking knowledge. And because he didn't have some very important knowledge, he did something that was foolish, right? And how many times in life do we do things that are foolish because we not lack wisdom or we lack knowledge? How many times as a nation do we make foolish decisions because we lack wisdom? How many times do leaders make poor decisions because they lack wisdom? Their thoughts, do, they're not led by the Lord, and so they lead to things that are foolish. And so we're going to look at this morning, and as we look at that, as you read the Bible, the Old Testament tells us about Solomon. King Solomon, as, as he was the son of King David, uh, when he was about to be crowned king, uh, he went before the Lord and, and, and God said, what do you desire of me? And, and Solomon said, I don't want riches. I don't want all these things. I want wisdom. Please give me wisdom. And God saw that that was the best thing he could request. And so he said, Solomon, I'm not only am I going to give you the wisdom that you ask for, I'm going to give you the wealth and all the other things. And as we look at the scriptures, we see that uh, most of the book of Proverbs was written by King Solomon. And today, I would encourage you, you can go. There's 31 books, there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. You can read a chapter of Proverbs a day. And if you're like me, you're going to see something that is extraordinarily relevant to that day as you read through. 
he had an, an Im- immense amount of wisdom. He, we're told he's the wisest to ever live. And yet, even in his life, and this is what I think it's important as we look to God's word in, in James this morning, even in Solomon's life, even though he had wisdom, later on in his life, he didn't live the wisdom. He didn't live the wisdom. Because he was told by God not to intermarry with other cultures and not to have multiple wives. And he was even told not to have a certain amount of horses. And yet he had a stable of 400 horses that he was told by God not to have. And he intermarried and he had wives and concubines that he was told not to have. And so even in his wisdom, his his wisdom that was beyond other men's, he didn't apply his wisdom later on in life. And so it's not enough just to have wisdom. You must apply it. You must live it. And wisdom without the gospel, wisdom without the Holy Spirit is foolishness. It's actually not wisdom. And so that's what I believe we're going to see as we look to God's word. So my question, the question I ask myself as we look to God's word this morning, the question I ask you is how important are our thoughts? How important are our thoughts? Does God care what we think about? And how does that impact our decisions? So let's pray, precede his word with prayer. Father God, we are thankful that you have revealed to us the truth of life. And Lord, we know that you are holy and worthy of this time. You are worthy of us stopping our day today and gathering together and reading your words and singing your praise. It is the most worthy thing we can do at this moment is to read and study your words and to allow them to transform us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us directly, that you would speak to our hearts, you'd speak to our minds, you would reveal things to us so that we can be disciples, we can be your followers, so that we can live in wisdom and discernment. And Lord, as we look at this chapter in James, Lord, we pray that you would enlighten us, that you would open us to your truth, and that you would guide our path, and that, Lord, we wouldn't be distracted, that we wouldn't be um, falsely taken down a path, but, Lord, that the truth would lead us, that your spirit would lead us as we desire to know you more, and we desire to know and do what you call us to do. And so we pray, Lord, that you would speak directly now in the name that has saved us from our sins, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I believe it is valuable and is uh, of the utmost importance anytime you read God's word that you do as much as you can to understand the context. Who is writing? To whom? When? What was the purpose of the writing? And so as we look at James, we recognize that James, the brother of Jesus, we don't hear much about him prior to the resurrection of Christ. And so we don't know much about his life until later, uh, after the, the resurrection and Jesus has gone on to be in heaven. And so we see that something significant happened in the life of James that led him to be who he became, a leader of the church in Jerusalem and the author of the book of James. And so we see that there was wisdom and discernment that he had to grow into, that he didn't just have it from childbirth. It wasn't just naturally there. It was something that God had to work out in his life through different things. And we don't know what all those things are, but we see the result of the wisdom that God gives James. So much wisdom that he's able to record it through the power of the Holy Spirit for us to have today. 
And so the context here is James is speaking to Jerusalem, a group of people in a, in a church much like ours that's been scattered because of persecution. And he's trying to tell them exactly how they are to live their lives in Christ and not to be deceived. Uh, as you read through the Old Testament, you're going to see Paul write this. You're going to see Peter write this. You're going to see John write this. You're going to see here James write this, that there is a deception in the world that is working diligently to deceive you. There is a deception in the world that is working diligently to deceive everyone all the time. And we are not to be deceived. We are not to be pulled away falsely. There we go. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) We're not to be distracted even by telephone calls. We're to stay focused on what God has for us. And we're not to be deceived. And so James is saying, look, there's a lot of false wisdom out there. There's a lot of false views out there. And I want you to be able to discern those things. And for you to discern them, you need wisdom. And so here he says, James chapter 3, verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? So he begins with this question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who has wisdom? Who has understanding? And so that begs the question, what is wisdom? If he's saying, who is wise? Well, what is wisdom? You see, I believe this is one of the things that as you become a Christ follower, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And wisdom, wisdom is what the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to you. Now, for an unbeliever, we're told that the cross is what? It is foolishness to those that are perishing. Wisdom is a spiritual thought. Knowledge can be just physical. There's a significant difference there. Knowledge, we have people that have much knowledge. We have professors. We have teachers. We have people with doctorates. We have people that have uh, committed their lives to studying certain areas of science, and they have a lot of knowledge. But that isn't wisdom. There's a lot of people that have significant amounts of knowledge, but have very little wisdom, if any wisdom. And so when he's asking this question, he's not asking who has the, I, the highest IQ or who can win on Jeopardy, right? He's saying, who has wisdom? And I think the key ingredient to wisdom is what James has been telling throughout his whole book. It's not just knowing something, it's doing something about what you know. Wisdom isn't just knowing the right thing to do, it's doing the right thing to do. And so wisdom is application. And I think what we're also going to see is the greatest place for wisdom to reveal itself is in our relationships. That wisdom is mostly focused on our interaction with each other. That wisdom finds itself in the relational parts of life. And so it's important for us to distinguish that because if we say uh, God wants us just to be smarter, well then let's all get degrees. Let's all just focus on school. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying you need to seek wisdom. Wisdom is different than knowledge. It's, it's something that only the Holy Spirit of God, I believe, can give you, and it brings life. And so he says this next. He says, Let's show, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. It's interesting that he, he, he says it this way. He says, My, by the deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom, that there's a certain element when you recognize how little you know. It produces humility. I think one of the most amazing things about the time we live in is we can recognize we don't know nearly as much as we thought we knew. This is a very large universe we live in. 
And you can go very large, and you can go very small, and there's so much of it we really don't understand. Most scientists can't tell you why the atom is formed the way it is, how it keeps its structure, how there's energy within things. They, can't, they can explain the what, they can't explain the why. Because it's beyond us. It's beyond us. And so he's saying there's a humility that comes in life. There's a humility that comes in life with true wisdom. True wisdom is a place where you recognize that you are to focus on the things that God has shown to you, not worry about the things he hasn't shown to you, and stay focused on what he wants you to do. If all of us would not worry so much about what he hasn't told us and focus on what he has told us, we would be very effective as his followers. There's a reason he hasn't revealed everything. He wants us to be faithful in our obedience, and that is wisdom. That's humble humility that leads to wisdom, and that's what we are called to have here. And I think there's a certain level of arrogance that we can have as Christians that we need to avoid, thinking that we know everything and that we're perfect and we're better than other people. That is not the wisdom that God calls us to. He calls us to every conversation, every interaction, to have a sense of humility, knowing that I am a sinner saved by grace, and I desire for you to be a sinner saved by grace as well, and to love people in that light. He continues on. So what you do, what you do is what you believe. What you do is what you believe, right? And so if you do it, you did it because you believed it. And I think that's, that's an important question for you to ask and for me to ask this week. When I react the way I react, why did I react that way? What do I really believe? What is my heart showing about what I really believe? Because James is really diving into this challenge because he says this, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And so he dives into these two things, envy and ambition. Selfish ambition. Envy, that I look around and I say, why can't I have what everyone else has? If only. I wish I had that. If I had that, I'd be happy. If I was there, I'd be happy. If only this, if only that. And, and living a whole life, and I've been around this in my life, that, that people just live uh, not recognizing what they do have and only wanting what everyone else has, and it's just depressing. And it's, it tears life away from you. It steals the joy away from life. Have you ever been somewhere that is fun and exciting and someone finds the one thing that isn't perfect and it undermines the whole thing? Because envy doesn't produce life. Envy doesn't produce joy. Envy does not give peace in your spirit. And so envy is not wise. It's foolish to envy things. It's foolish to envy your neighbor or envy a relative or envy any of those things because there's no good that comes from envy. That's why it's foolish and it's not wise. And then selfish ambition. I believe we've moved as a, as a, as a nation from the pilgrims that were so selfless to the time now where selfishness reigns, the stock market, money, 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 power, power, power. How much can we have? Selfish ambition has become the new gospel of the United States. And in selfish ambition, it is what can you give me? What can you do for me? How can you make my life better? It's the enemy's way to flip God's way around. Did you know that? 
It's the enemy's way to do it the way it's not supposed to be done. Imagine a planet where everyone on it only cared about themselves. Imagine a mother who didn't care for her children. She only cared for herself. Imagine a father who didn't care for his wife or his children, only cared for himself. Imagine children who only ever cared for themselves. Imagine a principal, a teacher, a policeman, a fireman, whoever that only cared for themselves. What would happen? It would self-implode. It would be destroyed. It could not exist. God created a specific order for this world, and it was for us to care more about others than we care about ourselves. It is to be selfless and sacrificial. Systems and cultures and towns and neighborhoods and families thrive when there's selflessness. Selfish ambition is foolish. Selfish ambition only leads to strife and pain and unhappiness. And so it's foolish to, to go after it. And James is really not, is, is revealing to the people of that time and to us today how important this is. He gives us an easy equation. It says this, envy plus selfish ambition equals foolishness. And so the next time you feel tempted to envy your neighbor, envy someone, or you feel tempted to be selfish in your ambitions, just remind yourself, envy plus selfish ambition equals foolishness. Do I want to be a fool? Do I want to be a fool? I remember watching the old television shows where they would have the school and the kid would have to wear the dunce hat in the corner. They can't do that anymore because he did something and there had to be a consequence. And the consequence, he had to wear this really pointy hat. I don't know why it was pointy, but they put him in the corner of the room because he made a foolish decision. Do you realize in life, that when we make these types of decisions where we're envious and we're going after selfish ambition, we become fools. And our foolishness becomes revealed to those around us that we are not led by the Lord, but we are led by our own wants and desires. He continues on, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, what? Pure, then peace-loving, then considerate, then submissive full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. I don't know about you, but watching this week, missiles being shot off into the sky and then other missiles knocking those missiles out. I think time can go by and we can forget that war is prevalent in this world. I think time can go by and we can get comfortable thinking that this world is somehow heaven and it's all going to work its way out and everything's going to be peaceful and wonderful and everyone's going to be happy. No, there are wars. There are rumors of wars. There are evil acts happening at this very moment. Sin and Satan in an unseen realm are destroying life after life after life. We live in a world that is falling apart. And the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the answer is when you and I live out the gospel, we become joy makers. We become peacemakers. We become purposeful makers. People begin to see in my life, they begin to see in your life, and then they hear our testimony, and they hear the testimony of God, and they begin to realize that the war they're in is foolish. 
And there's a better way. There's a better way to life. There's a better way to all of it. If they only repent and believe and and live for the Lord. And so here we're given these descriptions of what it is. He says, look, here's what it is to be foolish. Here is what it is to be wise. To have a pure heart. Purity comes from being washed in Christ regularly. How many times do you wash your hands now? How many times have they told us to wash our hands because of COVID? COVID is a temporary thing. It's something that has just come. Sin has always been here. We need to regularly wash our hearts and our minds of the sin that's so prevalent around us at all times, allowing the Lord's Holy Spirit to guide us and to give us that purity that we need, that only through him can we be made pure. Then peace-loving. Do we love the peace that only Christ can give us? You know there is peace right now. There's believers in Israel that see missiles coming that have peace in their heart because they know that if they are to live as Christ and to die is gain. And so there's peace like a river. There's peace in our hearts. There's peace that everyone needs. Because what happens is people have built their lives. They've built their whole existence on the earth. And the earth is crumbling away. And they're in, they're in panic. They're in fear. Because there's no peace. It amazed me this week as they talked about the mask rules changing. How many people are so uneasy about these things? Where is the peace? Have we put all of our peace in a government, believing that they can solve all of our problems? Have we put all of our peace in smart people who have PhDs, hoping that they can fix all of our problems? That's foolish. That's foolish. The wisdom is from the Lord. And I believe as you look at all these, what do you see? You see that these all are connected to our relationships. These are all connected to how we interact with each other. And I think one of the most important things we learn from Christ and then we learn from his followers is that they are merciful and gracious. All of us have relationships with people. And those relationships, they have times of joy and times of challenge. But wisdom in relationship is finding that place of peace. You know, sometimes you just have to overlook something. You know, sometimes you don't have to be right every single time. You know, sometimes you don't have to fight that battle. Because the peace that comes through mercy and grace is greater than winning a temporary battle. That causes more battles that causes more wars, that causes more problems. I think one of the most practical applications of all of this as followers of Christ is we should be the most merciful, gracious people to each other and to strangers as we possibly can. Because that demonstrates what Christ has done for us. Did I deserve his forgiveness? Did I deserve the peace that he gives me? Absolutely not. That means I need to be willing to share it with everyone, even if they don't deserve it. So how important are your thoughts? Your thoughts will lead you either to wisdom and goodness or foolishness and evil. It's really that simple. Your thoughts, which will become your actions, will either lead you to wisdom and goodness in your life or foolishness and evil. And so we need to commit our ways to having wisdom. How do we apply this to our lives? Well, James tells us, he says, ask God if you don't have wisdom, and he'll give it to you generously. He's not withholding it from us. He's just wanting us to ask, to seek it, to want it. Do we want wisdom? 
Do we want this kind of wisdom that only God can give us? Do we want the wisdom that leads to peace, that leads to a place where we can be transformed in our lives and help other people be transformed in their lives? I believe what he'll teach us, what he'll teach us is to always consider the best outcome. What is the best outcome for any human being? You know, we have all these political issues. We have all these hot topics. We have all these things we like to argue about and get upset about. But do you realize, at the very core of it, do we really want the best for everyone? Do we really want the best for everyone? Or do we just want the best for us, for people that are like us? So what is the best for everyone? What is the best for every human on this planet? The best for every human being on this planet is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the best. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. And so we need to consider that whenever we're having conversations, whenever we're engaging with friends, family, relatives, neighbors, as we engage in this world in a relational way, we should want the very best for everyone that we interact with, that we should always look for the opportunity to share the gospel in a loving way to encourage every person to consider their relationship to God. Because all these issues we fight about won't be issues in hundreds of years from now. They'll be gone. But Christ will still be reigning. And the gospel will still be true. And so we must focus there on that. And I would encourage you this morning, as you believe maybe you're coming to the end of your journey, maybe you're saying, I'm on the last stretch of my story. Don't miss the importance of modeling, encouraging wisdom in others. I believe there are so many people in this room that show wisdom in their lives. You have wisdom to share. You have wisdom to be generous with. You have things that have happened in your life that have led you to a place of wisdom that God did not give you to hold to yourself. He gave you that experience. He gave you that knowledge. He gave you that wisdom so you would train and equip others, so that you would be a point of reference for others, so you would show them the truth, so that they then could share that with others. It wasn't given to us for us to hold. It was given to us for us to be generous in sharing with others. Will you share what he's given you Will you share the wisdom that God has placed in your life? Will you be an example, a role model, and then invest your time and energy in other people so that their place in life, if they lack wisdom, if they lack maturity, you come alongside and you walk with them as they navigate that and you encourage them and disciple them and mentor them to a place where they too then can mentor someone else. We are not here for ourselves. We are here for the Lord and for others. Model it, encourage it. And I would also encourage you, read a chapter of Proverbs every day. Read a chapter of Proverbs and see how that impacts your decision making. See how God speaks into your life in new ways. See what God does through that. We all need wisdom. We all need discernment. Every decision in your life has led to this point. And you're going to make more decisions. And they're going to lead to the end of your life. Do you want to end in wisdom Or do you want to end in foolishness? I think we all would agree. We want to ask the Lord to allow us to live wise, discerning lives. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, wisdom can't apply to your life until you know Christ. And you must be twice born. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. 
If you've made that decision in your life, then you're saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. If you've done that, then the Holy Spirit is in you. He's guiding you, and he wants to give you wisdom. But sometimes we resist that. Let's not resist that. And so this moment, as we come to the end of the message, what is God telling you? What is God saying to your heart? If you lack wisdom, let's ask him for that. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without what? Without finding fault. And it will be given to you. We all need wisdom. Wisdom. 